You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Taken which came out in 2009 and was directed by Pierre Morel. It stars Liam Neeson, Maggie Grace, Leland Orser, John Grease, David Warshawski, Holly Valance, Olivier Rabourdine, Katie Cassidy, Alexander Berkeley, and Famke Janssen. The genre would be action thriller. You don't remember me. I need you to be focused. We spoke on the phone two days ago. Where's my daughter? <laughs> I would find you, and I will kill you. No! Yes, this movie is dumb, and you realize it in the first 10 minutes watching a mid-20s Maggie Grace just going all in to portray Brian Mills' 17-year-old daughter, with the exaggerated mannerisms of an eight-year-old. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! But this film is also lean, mean, dumb fun, which features well-crafted action, never wears out its welcome, and features a muscular central performance by Liam Neeson as our hero, Brian Mills. Who is Patrice Sinclair? I don't know. I don't care. I am driving you to the airport. Let's get going. Dinner is over. I'm not finished yet. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. That's what happens when you sit behind a desk. You forget things. Like the weight in the hand of a gun that's loaded and one that's not. It's a It's a flesh wound. But if you don't get me what I need, the last thing you'll see before I make your children orphans is the bullet I put between her eyes. He is a literal kick to watch. Just a sort of Irish slash sort of American 6'4 bull in a china shop, just literally wrecking shop around Paris for the last 60 or so minutes, leaving dozens of battered and dead Euro trash, mostly Albanians apparently, in his wake. A friend gave this to me. It's Albanian. You mind translating it? <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. You don't remember me. We spoke on the phone two days ago. I told you I would find you. It's all very early 2000s, and this movie always felt as if it could have shared the same universe as Eli Roth's Hostel series. Actually, I think that could have made both franchises better in retrospect. Can you imagine unleashing Mills on those tattooed, shaved head creeps or Richard Berge's Todd of Hostel Part 2 inside of their own lairs? Yes! Yeah! That's what I'm talking about, huh? Just imagine the inventive usage of power tools that we could witness. Now, as written, the character of Brian Mills is very much an action cliche. He's a single-minded Boy Scout superhero 
with one particular set of skills. It's actually right on the level of any number of characters who would have been played by Arnold back in the day, during his pre-Predator action early years, in movies like Commando. And yet, Neeson gives him just enough gravitas, especially his now iconic phone threat early on, to feel his frustration. Sam, it's me. I need a favor. I'm going to download something. I need it analyzed right now. She's been taken. What are you talking about? Any enemies overseas, Stuart? Why would I have any enemies? Because you do business overseas through multiple shell corporations. Because you were involved in an oil deal with a bunch of Russians that went south five years ago. How the hell do you know about that? Because I was not going to let my daughter live with someone without knowing everything about them. Yeah, well, I have a few resources of my own. Now's not the time for dick measuring, Stuart. I'm going to ask you again. Do you have anyone who's looking to hurt you? Not that I know of. Which room's Kim's? I want to know what happened. I got a call from her. There were people in the apartment, then she was taken. That, and the dude always actually had action chops. Seriously. Do folks not remember Rob Roy? He has an amazing sword fight with Tim Roth at the end of the movie, or Next of Kin with Patrick Swayze, or Darkman? These action chops were always there. They just kind of laid dormant for a while post-Oscar Schindler, when he was becoming a serious actor. But his imposing frame and his crooked facial expressions certainly played a part, and he clearly took on some martial arts training as well to convincingly dispatch with about a half dozen goons in the same kitchen with him, and each of them roughly half his age. Now, of course, regarding the action, the director Pierre Morel first cut his chops as a DP on several notable international action films like the Transporter movies or Unleashed from this time, and it shows. His camera is always right where it needs to be. It's almost a no-frills approach, but you can always tell the geography of who's hitting whom on screen. Now, the plot really makes less sense the more you think about it. I mean, Paris police would not have at least detained Mills by the third act, but as long as you leave your brain at the door, the takening remains a rollicking good time. The rate is 40 euros for the standard. Standard? Could, could you be more specific? Because back home, the standard covers a whole range of possibilities. Like kissing, you know, closed lips, open lips. Listen, if you're not buying, piss off. No, 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 I didn't say I wasn't buying. I just like to get comfortable before I purchase. Like this karaoke machine I bought. I must have read that manual from cover to cover so many times. I don't give a shit about your karaoke machine, okay? You're going to get me in trouble if you don't buy. Trouble? Really? With who? Piss off. Oh, oh okay, okay. Listen, I'm sorry. If I want a, a, a package deal, do I get a discount? And now the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Now, all around, this is very much a no-frills, straightforward action thriller, which tops out at around 90 minutes. With the exception of one character, who will be discussed in the next category, there is not an ounce of fat here. Nothing particularly flashy, and certainly nothing flashy from a musical standpoint. That said, there is a pretty catchy alt-rock number which plays over the entire closing credits. Brian has provided a nice surprise for his daughter by bringing her to the home of the pop singer whom he saved towards the beginning of the film. She's going to give Kim, the daughter, some pointers on becoming a singer, and it's a genuinely sweet note to end the movie on, pun intended. So then we fade to black and hear a pretty melancholy piano solo as credits start to appear on the screen. Then as the song starts to kick in, more reverb and a ton of guitars over the gently haunting voice of lead singer John Israel. The pace of the song starts to accelerate, 
more instruments chime in, Israel starts to shout more of his lyrics, and it all builds into something which very much reminded me of a rock anthem that you would hear from the band Muse just around this time. And yes, I was a big fan of Muse, still am. Of course, the band here is not Muse. They are known as Ginsu, and they hail from Brussels. The band has been around for about 25 years and is mostly popular around France and Belgium. The song is called The Dragster Wave, and these guys are certainly worth checking out. And now the category of wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. As mentioned previously, this one was just kind of obvious off the bat. I'm, of course, referring to Maggie Grace, who is egregiously miscast here, playing his naive teenage daughter, Kim. Now, Grace was 25 years old at the time of filming, playing a 17-year-old. And here's the thing. Hollywood casting actors in their mid to late 20s as teenagers is honestly nothing new. It's a long-running tradition, even going back to James Dean back in his heyday. You say it's because of me, you say it's because of the neighborhood. No, you use every other phony excuse. Mom, I just once, I want to do something right. And I don't want you to run away from me again. However, the way this character is written is an extremely awkward, naive, gawky, arms flailing around teenager. Or maybe even preteen, even though she's technically supposed to be 17. Also not helping matters is that by the time this film was released, Maggie Grace had a recurring role on one of the most popular shows on television, Lost on ABC, a show that I genuinely loved. I even kind of liked the finale. She had been playing Shannon, who was an independent adult in her mid-20s. So what on paper was already a stretch just became almost comically distracting. Her character is by far the weakest part of this movie. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mom! Daddy. Daddy. I love you, Dad. Mommy, say it, say it! I'm gonna go call Amanda. This brings us to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now back to the action, of which there is quite a lot. I'm always a sucker for a good car chase, and there's a rather enjoyable one right around the 60-minute mark. You see, Brian has tracked down an organization run by the bad guys where several, quote, taken young women by this organization are now being held hostage and also being fed a series of drugs. He finds one of them wearing his daughter's jacket, only it's not his daughter. But no matter, he takes her with him so that he can hopefully bring her back to consciousness and question her to find his daughter. And wouldn't you know it, this shack that he finds her in is among several located on what is actually a massive construction site just outside of Paris. Mills brings her to his rental car, though of course is noticed. So of course a shootout results. 
And as he starts to furiously drive away with her, Mills is, of course, followed by several minivans hot on his trail. Yeah, this is a brief but pretty well-crafted set piece involving him maneuvering around various construction equipment, massive dirt piles, metal girders, the works. And it all ends fittingly with him smashing his way through the middle of a trailer filled with more bad guys. What else could you ask for than to see our hero running roughshod through such a wretched place? Now, the next part is very important. They're going to take you. Kim, stay focused, baby. This is key. You will have five, maybe ten seconds. Very important seconds. Leave the phone on the floor. Concentrate. Shout out everything you see about them. Hair color. Eye color. Tall, short, scars. Anything you see, you understand? And this brings me to the final category, the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Of course, looking back now, one major side effect of this film's breakout success is that Neeson's career has never quite been the same since, for better or worse. Undoubtedly, he is earning tons of bank, playing just a series of similar action-oriented characters since then. But I'd be lying if I didn't admit that sometimes I do miss him as a serious actor. I mean, Neeson was especially good at portraying real-life figures with questionable morals and giving them genuine dimension, from IRA founder Michael Collins to pioneering sexual researcher biologist Alfred Kinsey to, of course, Oscar Schindler. That said, the weight and charisma that he brings to this character is undeniable. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Say what you want about that now often parodied monologue of his over the phone to the kidnappers, which kickstarts this movie. But you need a strong actor with a certain level of heft to sell something like that so effectively, which he does. Bottom line, this movie simply does not work without the acting talent of Liam Neeson. And for that reason, he is the MVP. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Good luck. My rating for Taken would be three stars out of five. When Taken was first released in the U.S. 15 years ago this January, it exploded on a level which just nobody had seen coming. It was an instant word-of-mouth smash, eventually making around $225 million worldwide on a $25 million budget. Pretty good. And it spawned a successful franchise, including two highly profitable, though much weaker from a quality standpoint, sequels, along with an eventual TV series. Besides revitalizing Neeson's career, it definitely kickstarted a trend, still ongoing, of well-respected aging stars attempting to carve out second careers for themselves within no-frills action. So many stars have jumped on this train since then, too, including Sean Penn, Kevin Costner, John Travolta, Jennifer Garner, Nicole Kidman, and even longtime comedian and eventual star of Better Call Saul, Bob Odenkirk. You could even make a case that budding, quote, older man action franchises of the 2010s, such as The Equalizer or John Wick, were also very much influenced by the success of this film. So happy 15th anniversary to one of the more influential genre films of recent years, and a perennial fun rewatch. And if you're looking to watch Taken, it is currently streaming on Netflix. And that ends another particular set of skills review. Had to do it. 
Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.